This week on the mic drop, we talk stars hockey, 90s rock and roll, and bad parenting on TV with broadcaster Bruce Levine. Then, John Drago of the AT&T Byron Nelson gets us ready for this year's tournament, which he says has something for everyone. But first, we learn all about the intense competition and big business of cheerleading from Justin Carrier of Varsity Spirit. So let's drop the mic and let's go. Welcome to the Mic Drop, everybody, the official podcast of the Dallas Sports Commission. Kevin Sullivan here, joined this week by J.D. Wood. He is the Director of Business Development for the Sports Commission. Stepping in today for the hardest working woman in show business, sports, and entertainment, Monica Paul, who's on a well-deserved little break. Also here with us, as always, is Next Level, Marcus Carr. Thanks for listening and subscribing. J.D., we have hit a little bit of a milestone here, episode 50, so you're here for a good one. Now, our tradition is to identify a Dallas-Fort Worth jersey number with the number of our episode. Number 50 originally made me think of Cowboys great D.D. Lewis, because I'm older than, than a lot of people. Of course, Sean Lee wore that number for a long time, but we get, we're throwing you a curveball today. For, number, for episode 50, our number 50 is going to be former Rangers left-hander C.J. Nitkowski, current broadcaster. Now, he wore number 50 for the Rangers back in 2002 and three. Had very little impact on the field, just an 0-1-1 record in 18 games. But, of course, a major impact since 2017 on Rangers TV broadcasts. He's won five sports Emmys. He's got a show on MLB Radio Network on Sirius XM. And here's a little fun fact I dug up about uh, on, uh, on CJ. He was the first major leaguer to start his own website way back in 1997. This was the Wild West days of the internet. He started cjbaseball.com, which is still out there. So thanks Wikipedia for that tidbit. He had a small role in the movie 42. He was a tech advisor on the short-lived Fox TV show Pitch, which was about the first woman to make Major League Baseball. So for episode 50, interesting guy, former Rangers number 50 and current ballet sports broadcaster CJ Nitkowski. So JD, give us a sense of your background and what you do as director of business development at the Dallas Sports Commission. Yes, sir. Well, first off, Sully, thank you for you know allowing me to do my best to fill in for Monica. You know, I know that's not possible, honestly, but doing it my everything I can. Uh, but yeah, so as the director of business development, I've been with the Dallas Sports Commission for uh, two years now. I actually, just had my two year anniversary two weeks ago. Um, and so uh, my job is to, uh, along with the rest of the Sports Commission, but to market and sell the city of Dallas as a sports destination. Um, but I primarily focus on the venues and relationships outside of the convention center, whether it's the universities, MoneyGram Soccer Park, uh, American Airlines, Fair Park, um, you know, any, anything outside of the convention center, just trying to bring in sports from uh, soccer tournaments to, uh, to working on the World Cup to uh, focusing on, I mean, in, you know, new sports, kind of new emerging like USA climbing, uh, USA water polo, things of that nature. Just, you know, anything that uh, can come to the community, it's something different, diversifying our, our, our sports that we attract. And um, so it, it's a great opportunity and I love being here with the team. Um, my background has kind of set me up uh, for this. I, I enjoy the 
almost Aggie maroon that you have on. Um, but <laughs> right. I had uh, I had the opportunity. I did uh, my uh, sport management degree at undergrad and master's at Texas A&M University. And uh, is Monica aware of this, uh, JD? Uh, you know, she's a pretty devoted <laughs> Longhorn, and we like to tease her whenever Aggies come on the show. Well, as you see, she's not here or in the office, so I can talk a lot about it a little more openly. Uh, uh, but all jokes aside, it actually is uh, how we uh, how we met when I when I was a sophomore in college. I was 19 volunteering at the, uh, one of the conferences, the trade shows that we go to and had my maroon polo on and walk in. And of course, you know, she's diehard Longhorn. So she sees it and goes, man, I cannot get away from you Aggies. Uh, and so we've had a kin, you know, a friendship and a and, and ever since then, and um, honestly, a lot of the things I've got to do over my career working, you know, working events during school here with the um, Sports Commission when Monica and Ginger were here, you know, since they've been here, uh, doing the NBA All-Star Game, the Super Bowl, it kind of got my start. And then uh, had the opportunity to work major events, uh, at a, you know, for the now senior game for City of College Station. Uh, and then most recently, before I moved here, I was the general manager of the Panama City Beach Sports Complex. Um, so a lot of focus on outside sports, which is kind of what I'm focusing on here as well, and continuing to expand uh, the Dallas marketplace. Well, glad to have you on the mic drop. Uh, the, uh, of course, last week, we had the return of the ATP tour to Dallas for the first time since 1989. And it was a runaway locomotive smash hit success with the Dallas Open at the, at the uh, uh, Steislinger Alltech Tennis Center at SME, which is in the Dallas city limits. Uh, by the way, won by Riley Opelka. President Bush made an appearance on Sunday for the coin flip. Uh, looking at that event, uh, what, uh, how do you, you know, the impact that it had in our community and just how successful it was? You know, what a lot of people don't realize the uh, how vital tennis has been to the success of sports here in Dallas. And it's, we have a long history of tennis. And so the opportunity to add an additional and even larger uh, events with ATP 250, bringing in Dallas Open, um, it was just something that we were excited about as soon as it was presented and um, look forward to working with them um, to continue to have the event coming back to Dallas every year. And, and it was definitely something that, again, it showcases the diversity of sports that Dallas and the Dallas Sports Commission can host. So it was it was very important to the future of the Sports Commission City of Dallas and for tennis in our community. Yeah, really, really a big hit. We know it always seems that there's a Dallas connection to every major sports story. The Super Bowl last weekend was certainly no exception. Now, most people will point to quarterback uh, Matthew Stafford of the Rams as being a Highland Park guy. I'm sure you're thinking about Von Miller from DeSoto and, of course, Texas A&M. And, you know, there was another A&M and Dallas connection to the Super Bowl, which was friend of the podcast, Brian Truby, the great sports architect formerly of HKS, who helped design SoFi Stadium. So almost everywhere you turn on the national sports scene, you can find a Dallas, a Dallas connection. A couple of quick mic drop moments. Scotty Scheffler, Dallas's own on the PGA Tour, picking up his first career win last weekend at the Waste Management Phoenix Open. Three-hole playoff over his fellow Ryder Cup teammate, Patrick Cantlay. Scheffler left Scottsdale $1,476,000 richer. So if you see him around town, congratulate him, and maybe he'll, he'll uh, buy you a uh, frozen yogurt or something. Mavericks uh, race into the All-Star break, 11 games over 500, a season high. Luca with 49 last night in New Orleans. Should have gotten to 50. He missed a couple free throws at the end. Would have been two 50-point games in a week. Mavericks looking good. 
following the Porzingis trade. We will break that down in episodes to come. We're going to talk stars later today with, uh, with Bruce Levine of the Stars broadcast crew. Looking forward to that. But we're back in a moment to talk cheer. Really looking forward to this with Justin Carrier of Varsity Spirit. But first, over to Rachel with a word from one of our sponsors. Dallas is known for its big wins when it comes to sporting events. Whether it be Final Fours, Winter Classics, Pro Drafts, or even international soccer matches, Dallas sets the standard. And now it's time for our biggest win yet. We want the 2026 World Cup. The Dallas Sports Commission is working hard to bring the World Cup back to our great city, and we need your help. Head over to DallasWorldCup2026.com to sign the pledge to bring it back. Be sure to follow us on all social media at World Cup Dallas to stay up to date on all things 2026 World Cup. Thanks, Rachel. And now welcome to Justin Carrier. He's been with Varsity Spirit for going on 27 years. This is a lifer, everybody, in the cheer uh, business. Currently the vice president of All-Star Experience for Varsity All-Star and the National Cheerleaders Association and National Dance Alliance. Justin's going to break that all down for us uh, in, in, in a moment. Of course, this is another large sports internet inter organization with a national footprint that is based in Dallas. Uh, uh, Justin cheered at the University of North Texas. That's Marcus Carr's uh, alma mater too. A Houston native who went to Elite Elsick High School, most famous alum is Beyonce. So maybe we can talk about that a little bit. So welcome <laughs> to the mic drop, Justin. Uh, thanks for having me, Kevin. I'm so proud that you mentioned Beyonce. She, um, that, is a, that is a little known fact that uh, apparently I've annoyed my friends with when we are at um, running on the treadmills at Orange Theory, every time a Beyonce song comes on, somebody in class yells, yes, Justin, we know you went to high school with Beyonce. And I've always been the one to tell people that. And it was this is the first time that anybody's uh, brought it up about me. So as soon as I saw the notes for this conversation, I texted my friends. I said, look, guys, it is a big deal. I know Beyonce and... Uh, Somebody cares because <laughs> none of my friends care and they're sick of hearing about it. Oh, we care deeply uh, here. At <laughs> right. Right. J.D. I, I definitely care. I want to see you do the dance, though, when, you know, do the single ladies anytime you can and, and, and really let it go. That's why I, want I don't I don't claim I can do uh, her routine, but I but <laughs> I, I will claim she was either she was a freshman when I was a senior or she was in eighth grade when I was a senior. Anyway, I, I, I don't really know her. Um, we're, we're, I'm older than she is, but um, I love telling people that we went to high school together. So they think that, that we were tight. Perfect. Perfect. Well, I know I definitely, you know, we, uh, we appreciate the time and you coming on and first off, Ginger Lively Kate wanted me to tell you, hello. I had to make sure I gave you that shout out from her. Um, but, you know, looking at your resume and looking at all the stuff that you've done, you know, you clearly are a cheer lifer. So I want to know, what is it about the sport that made you want to make it your career? You know, I started with NCA and NCA is based here in Dallas. Our office is in Plano right now. It was in it was in Garland for many years until about three years ago. And we moved the headquarters to Plano. But I started teaching summer camps for NCA back in 1995. Um, my, my high school team went to an NCA camp and uh, they gave me an application to try out for staff. So Almost anybody, once they catch that bug of in the world of cheer, is is hooked for life. It's a really, really cool uh, community. It's a really fun activity, and it's kept a lot of people around. A lot of people that I taught summer camps with back in 1995 are still around in the industry in some way, shape, or form. Many of them are coaches or gym owners now that are bringing their teams to our, our big event that's coming up uh, next weekend. 
Perfect. Well, you know, I know we don't get into this line of work for the accolades and, and the awards and things like that, but I read something that was pretty cool for, for you, Justin, to be completely honest. You know, flowcheer.com called you the coolest guy in the cheer <laughs> world. So how did you earn that distinction and kind of what, what do you think that made you stand out for them? Uh, that That's funny. I, most people I know, including my family, would not uh, put cool in my title. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not very cool. Um, and my jokes aren't, my jokes certainly aren't very cool, but I'll tell you, um, I, in particular, Flow Cheer making that statement, I, I'm relatively active on social media. Our industry is relatively active on social media. And so I would imagine that's where they came from because I'm not uh, necessarily, I don't shy away from uh, engaging with uh, some of our customers and some some uh, some people in our industry. So I would imagine that's why they think I'm cool. Like I said, I, I don't know anybody else that would that would give me that title. Well, again, being cool and then bringing up Beyonce again, you have to have a TikTok dancing video. That's what I'm thinking. Like to be cool, you got to have one. I, I tried TikTok. I tried TikTok last year, almost a year ago exactly. And nothing made me feel older than trying to edit that video together. I finally gave up. I'm a Twitter, Instagram, Facebook guy. Um, TikTok's uh, starting to make me feel my age. For sure. <laughs> I'm right. I'm right there with you. I understand that. Well, you know, as Sully mentioned, you know, the NCAA All-Star National Championship is coming this weekend or coming up at K. Bailey Hutchinson, uh, February 25th through the 27th. You know, it's a huge event for you guys. Kind of tell us about the events and kind of, you know, kind of how it's grown along the way. I'll tell you. So my first time at NCAA All-Star Nationals, NCAA, you know, All-Star means competitive club teams as opposed to NCA, like school, there's school cheerleading, and then there's competitive club cheerleading, which is all-star. These kids don't, they don't cheer on the sideline. They don't support a sports team throughout the year. They literally have tryouts at the beginning of the season, and all they do is prepare to compete. And for almost all of them, the event they are most preparing for is NCA all-star nationals. It happens next weekend here in Dallas. My first time at this event was the first time the event existed. I was a senior in high school. It was the first time they broke off All-Star from high school nationals, and they had it in February of 1995. And um, it was a cool event. I coached like a little youth team, and it was my first experience. My first time ever in Dallas, um, I stayed at the Anatole Hotel. It was called the the Lowe's Anatole back then, and um, it was a really, really cool weekend. And it was from that event, my experience as a junior coach at that event that got me to uh, uh, go to the University of North Texas and kind of move up to Dallas from Houston full time. But that competition has grown from a couple of hundred teams to 1400 teams is what we have this year. And we went from just being an event that took place in the arena to taking up literally the entire convention center from arena, A, B, C, D, E, and F upstairs, downstairs, the entire thing. So it's it's a big event, and it has grown consistently every year since 1995. See, that's fantastic. You have the history and the evolution. You know, and here in Dallas and Dallas Sports Commission, we love, you know, cheer and love the event, you know, and everything it stands for. And, you know, we always, whenever we're talking to events, event holders coming in, we always talk about how important cheer and, and, and your events are to us. Um, so kind of, you know, in that evolution, kind of, why it is, you know, why do you consider in the event consider Dallas home? You know, what do you love about conducting events and your championships here in Dallas? Well, I'll tell you, Dallas is home mostly because Herky, who started NCA, 
you know, he was an SMU cheerleader. He, um, he cheered back in the day here in Dallas and that's where NCA got its start. So that's where NCA as an organization has been strongest. And even UCA, which is our sister company was an offshoot of NCA that uh, started, that started out of Dallas as well. So Dallas has always been the home of cheerleading. You know, I grew up in Houston and I mean, Texas is where cheerleading occurs, of course. But even as a Houstonian, we knew we knew our place in the pecking order and that Dallas was ultimately where it was all at. So it really started with the, the cheerleading camps that Herky started back in the 40s um, as an SMU cheerleader. SMU was kind of the, the hub for, for modern day cheerleading back in that time. And so it's, it's never really left. There are other pockets of the country where cheerleading is big. There's a big event in Atlanta happening this weekend but even that competition has 1,200 teams, which is huge and easily the second largest cheerleading event in the world, um, bypassed only by our event in Dallas, which is at 1,400. So everybody pretty much knows that Dallas is synonymous with cheerleading. In fact, most people don't even call this event NCA All-Star Nationals. They call it NCA Dallas because they know exactly what you're referring to when you say that. I like that. <laughs> Yeah, we'd love to hear that, Justin. Now, you know, for people who may not follow cheer, you know, week to week. Does that exist? Yeah. Well, maybe for some people. I don't know. I, I feel I feel sad for them because they're clearly missing out. But give give our listeners a sense of how competitive this sport is. It's not the cheerleading that you might think of. Uh, this is really competitive. It's um, incredibly competitive. And, and I would... I would put it up against any other sport out there that you can think of. Again, most people think of the, 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 the old imagery of the sideline athlete who, who doesn't leave the ground, who doesn't necessarily have skills, but does a great job of leading the crowd. And, and that's fine. And that has its place. But these athletes, all they work on are skills and polishing the perfect routine. You know, we have much like, much like gymnastics, we have skill progressions and levels. So we've got level one, level two, level three, level four, level five, level six, level seven of different skill combinations that they try to, uh, they try to master a certain level, a level one, and then they move on to level two and then they move on to level three. So there really isn't a chance for complacency because as soon as they master the skills that are, that were their goals for the season, there's a whole other level to get ready for. So these athletes, they, they live breathe, sleep, eat, dream about cheer all the time. It's uh, it's a really cool athletic sport that unlike most other sports has this, and I'm speaking for females specifically when I say this, it has the athleticism and the sports aspect, but it also allows female athletes to, uh, to showcase their femininity at the same time. And that is really a unique, a unique blend that not, not every female sport, um, gets to encapsulate. What's an example of a level five skill, you know, once a, once a cheer athlete moves up the scale? Okay. Um, I'm glad you asked. Thank you for testing my um, off the cuff knowledge. A level five skill would include like a round off back handspring layout with a full twist. So I'm not going to do it for you, but just imagine me flipping over backwards, laying out my body and spinning and then landing on my feet. That's a level five skill. And my daughter, Amy, was a gymnast. So I remember some of that round off backflip stuff. So you mentioned Herky Herkimer, and I've always felt a, uh, may he rest in peace, I've always felt a kinship 
to him. I've been known as Sully since I was 11 years old, you know, so Sully Sullivan. So when I moved to Dallas in 1980 and I started hearing about Herky Herkimer, I thought that was so cool that this, this titan of this entire industry was named Herky Herkimer. I just thought it was really cool. Uh, he started, as you said, you know, from his time as a SMU cheerleader, but give our listeners a sense of just how big this business is today with the apparel and competitions and all the, all that goes into it. Well, you know, and I'm glad you brought him up. He, um, he was a mastermind and he had a vision and we, um, we are all, when I say we, you guys are exist anyway, but on my side, people in the cheer world can thank this, uh, our, our full-time jobs and our livelihood and the experiences we have to him and what he envisioned with the, the cheerleading camp and then the competition and then the apparel. So uh, for our company, we do, there, there are several companies that produce cheerleading camps, cheerleading competitions, and there are apparel companies out there as well that outfit the cheerleaders. If you think about the school side, I mean, almost every school in the country has a cheerleading team. And so that cheerleading team typically goes to camp and that cheerleading, some of those cheerleading teams compete and all those cheerleading teams have to wear uniforms. So just on the school side alone, there's a lot of cheerleading spread pretty evenly across the entire country. This segment of the population, the all-star segment, the club segment, that's really where the, the business um, side comes in because there are these uh, gyms all over the country who, you know, like I said earlier, they're only the, their only reason for existence is to cultivate these competitive teams. And so, so there are people with uh, full-time jobs. Their livelihood is coaching athletes every day, doing private lessons, creating teams, competing on the weekends. And so it is big business in that there are a lot of different people all over the country whose livelihood depends on competitive cheerleading. And not, not competitive sideline cheerleading, but competitive club cheerleading or all-star. Uh, a, a friend and colleague, Michelle Gross, who uh, cheered competitively at Express Cheer in Frisco. She coached at Dallas Baptist, and she's judged many of your competitions uh, for about eight years now. And she, I asked her, I told her I was going to be talking to you. She lit up. Uh, also agrees, by the way, with flowcheer.com that you're a cool guy. And, and said, ask him, how do you best manage all the different so-called customers? You've got the cheerleaders, the athletes themselves, but you've got parents who we know can be very active and hands-on and opinionated. You've got gym owners, you've got coaches, you've got judges, all of whom have strong opinions. How do you manage it and navigate all that? Uh, well, that's a good question. And thanks somebody else for calling me cool again. I will be letting my kids know <laughs> how cool other people think that I am. But I'll tell you, you know, when I've, I remember uh, the, the first time I was kind of over in charge overseeing NCA nationals, uh, I had a coach get really upset with me and I, um, I got really, really upset because it hadn't dawned on me that at, at any given competition, somebody's going to leave unhappy. Somebody's going to leave really unhappy. And so I've, I've learned to accept that now. And, you know, there's all these different, everybody has different expectations from what they're going to get out of the competition. But I found that if you focus on two things when producing a sporting event or an event for kids, the first one is make that experience special and unique for young people. If you can provide that, then, then generally speaking, a parent is going to know that it is worth the investment of their time and money and commitment to put their athlete through that experience. 
So make that experience special and unique. That's from a, a that's from a customer perspective or a, a youth perspective. From a from a sports perspective, the best thing you can do is run a fair competition. There will always be, especially cheerleading is a subjective sport. So I, people will always disagree with the results, and people have their own opinions and their own bias and their own their own expectations of who they think is number one. But if you can give everybody the fairest shot possible, in the short term, you will have people that leave upset or mad or frustrated because they don't agree with the results. In the long term, the coach, the customer, the parent, whoever whoever you're referring to, um, appreciates that they got a fair shot, that at the end of the day, their kids have the same opportunity that the kids sitting next to them had. So I feel like those two aspects are how you best juggle the expectations from all those different groups. And it, it, it's intense. I love how you call those parents. I think you used the word active. <laughs> active is a really good word for it. Um, and I get it. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a parent too. And I would, I, would, I would do anything for my kids to have a positive experience. But at the end of the day, if you can create something unique and special and something fair for everybody, that's going to keep, that's going to keep people coming back every year. And that's why I would, guess that NCAA All-Star Nationals in Dallas has grown to be so big because people don't always agree. And there's always a very, uh, a very um, competitive division that is questioned um, out on social media or by the masses. And that's fine. But, but as long as we always put our best foot forward and giving the kids a good experience, we tend to be okay when it's all said and done. Perfect. And Justin, I had one follow one follow up question for you, and and this is you know I think it's a good segue when you talk about family and and, and all that you know people learning how to be cheerleaders and those kind of things. And so I have three daughters under five, uh, and my five and a half, well I guess five and a half year old. Now we did our first cheer day in Waxahachie a couple weeks a couple weekends ago, and and so my question is you know I'm planning on bringing the girls out to NCA to check it out and see everything because I just know they're going to be blown away by the experience and, and, and visuals. But if someone wanted to get their young children into cheerleading and kind of what's the steps, kind of what's your recommendation on, on starting that trajectory with, uh, with young girls? That's a, that's a really good question. And um, I, first of all, I, I, I pray for you and your house. If I, I've got, I have a seven-year-old, six-year-old and two-year-old, but at one point I had a four-year-old, a three-year-old and a newborn. So I, um, I, I, was about to say, I know that your hair is on fire, but if you're like me, yeah. you're, you burned your hair, it's gone. Exactly, And so um, I hold your breath and hang on for the next few years. It, it will slowly get better. So I'm, my prayers, thoughts and prayers headed your way. But in terms of cheerleading, um, so the USASF is a governing body of All-Star Cheer, and they actually have a database of gyms that are members throughout, throughout the area, th especially throughout this area right here. So I would, if I were you, I would find a local gym that is a USASF member because not, not everybody is, but a local gym who is a USASF member and reach out to them and just take a class. I wouldn't, I wouldn't jump on a team. What you're going to see when you come to All-Star Nationals are these very committed year-round teams. If you're like me, you're, you're five-year-old, you need to do a class. You need to do a class and see how they like it first, but find a local gym and go visit there. I'll tell you uh, what the coolest thing about all-star cheer, in my opinion, you know, there's, there's the reputation that that sideline or school cheer has. It's not accurate, but there is this reputation of um, the pretty girls, the popular girls, the perfect girls, uh, 
that that there's this elite status to them. Uh, it's not accurate, but that is the reputation. The really cool thing about All Star Cheer is it is very inclusive. People of all shapes, sizes, ability levels, experience, every there is there is there is something for everybody in the world of All Star, which will attest to why there are 1,400 teams coming to compete next weekend. And it's because All Star has a home for everybody. And so my hope for any parent, including my, my sons are in class at the local gym here and my daughter will be in a class as soon as she's old enough to not wear a diaper anymore. But after that, um, I, know, I know if they enjoy it, All Star Cheer has a home for them. And so I'm really proud of that. And I'm excited for what you're about to experience next weekend when you come to visit the competition. Well, I appreciate the guidance. And I know, like I said, I'll be out there uh, at the convention center on February 25th through the 27th. I would tell everybody, make sure you go to varsity.com to purchase tickets. Like I said, we'll be there. I'm, I'm looking forward to enjoying it. Awesome. We're happy to have you guys. Thanks for having me on the show. All right now. And you can follow him on at Justin Carrier, by the way, that, that, uh, that fun stuff he's talking about on, uh, on, on Twitter <laughs> uh, with just at Justin Carrier. And as he says on his feed, uh, hashtag trust God, clean house and help others. So I'm all, I'm on board with, uh, with all that. So thanks to Justin and now over to Rachel with a word from one of our sponsors. All right, Sally, what are you doing this weekend? Because I'm going to the Dallas zoo. The Dallas zoo provides guests with real life opportunities to make memorable connections with its more than two thousand animals. Please support the zoo's mission to inspire and empower action on behalf of the wildlife in Texas and around the world. Visit DallasZoo.com today to purchase your tickets. Thanks, Rach. And now we are really pleased to not only welcome John Drago back to the mic drop, but to induct him into the Two Timers Club. We spoke with John. It's, a, it's an exclusive club, John. So, so, uh, so welcome. We had you on last May to talk about uh, the AT&T Byron Nelson. Uh, he's been the tournament director since 2003, a PGA of America, master professional, love that. So welcome back, John, and give us a break it down for us. How did, uh, you know, last year was your first year at TPC Craig, Craig Ranch. It, by all accounts, it went very well. How do you assess your first year uh, at, at, at uh, TPC Craig Ranch in McKinney? Yeah, thanks, Kevin, and thanks for having me back. That's quite the honor to be uh, part of the two-time club. I'm uh, Hopefully I don't mess it up too bad. Then maybe we'll get a third one at some point. Um, but no, we couldn't have been more excited about the way things happened in the first year out at TPC Craig Ranch last May. You know, we talk about it being our first year a lot and a lot of the uh, things that we learned and so forth. But, you know, really what was what people don't remember is we planned three events really uh, going into that first year. We had a we had a plan in place for a full capacity tournament. You know, things with the pandemic were still lingering around, weren't real. There was a lot of questions about what we were going to be allowed to do. Uh, we had a plan in place for a limited field, ter uh, limited attendance tournament. And then we had a plan in place if we were going to have to go without attendance. Um, so, you know, that process was something that uh, that was quite, uh, quite interesting for sure as we went through it. But ultimately, we were able to have limited attendance. It, it really kind of, for us, while we wanted everybody to be able to be out there and experience that first year, it gave us an, a way to kind of test drive the site, if you will. You know, we we're able to see where some of the pinch points were, how traffic flowed, where people wanted to naturally go. Um, so really great first year. And we feel a lot of momentum going into this year. So couldn't be more excited about it. Tickets are on sale at 
attbyronnelson.org. Full capacity will be great. You've also got a Saturday night concert with Lee Bryce and Band of Heathens, by the way, opening. Uh, now, just when you get Lee Bryce, by the way, tell him, ask him not to play I Drive Your Car because everybody <laughs> will start crying. I'm not a big country Western guy, but that song gets me every time. Uh, I did. I saw him at, at uh, the NHL All-Star Weekend in Nashville a few years ago, and the fans are really in for a treat. He, he really puts on a, a show. So, but, but speaking of the fact that you've got a concert, this is not just a golf tournament. Talk about the, the overall fan experience and all that will be happening uh, that, uh, that weekend. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we, re- we really consider the AT&T Byron Nelson. Yes, it is a PGA Tour event. The best players in the world are going to be there. We want people to come out and watch them. But we really want to offer something for everyone. It's, a, it's an annual rite of spring in, uh, you know, North Texas. Um, it is a reason for people to get outside at a time when they're finally ready to get out there. And so, yeah, you know, th- there's going to be something for everyone to do. Um, people remember we used to do these after tournament concerts um, back in the day. We're finally back to a place where we feel like we can do that again and do that again successfully. Uh, so, yeah, whether it's coming out to watch uh, great golf or just really hang with your friends and, and laugh and be outside um, or to come just for the concert. You know, you have to come uh, before that. We have a, It'll have a, a separate ticket if you wanted to just come to the concert as well. Um, we want to have something for everybody to have a good time out there. We celebrate Scotty Scheffler winning his first PGA Tour uh, event last weekend at the, at the Waste Management Phoenix Open. We have so many local, uh, you know, from Jordan Spieth to Will Zalatoris and everybody in between, so many local uh great players on the PGA tour. What commitments do you have uh, for this year so far, John, for uh, players that'll be out that the fans could come and see? Yeah. Great, great questions. He, uh, we couldn't be more proud of Scotty. Uh, we were all, a lot of text messages going back and forth when he was playing. We did want him to kind of hurry up, maybe get that thing won before the Super Bowl started, but that's okay. We're, we're glad that he got it under his belt and uh, he played with Jordan yesterday. I saw it Riviera. So we're huge fans. The local players um, that you mentioned, Zalatoris is coming next. There's no doubt in my mind he's going to be the next one to win. He's knocking down the door just like Scotty was. So they've always been really supportive of us. Actually, I was just looking at our field. You know, it's it, this is that time of year where people start making their plans. So we don't have a, a ton of full commitments yet, but we've talked to a lot of players. We expect a really good field. Ryan Palmer, another local player, actually committed today is what I was just um, alluding to. But, yeah, we fully expect all of our local players to play um, we also learned last year being the week before the PGA championship has also helped us. We get a little bit more of an international flavor. Uh, Tommy Fleetwood is committed for, to our tournament this year. Someone who hasn't played us before. Uh, Bubba Watson hasn't played us before, not an international player, but someone that uh, hasn't played our tournament before, but we think, you know, leading into the PGA championships, one of those reasons um, why um, Dustin Johnson's committed to the field. So we'll kind of, as they, as they commit, we'll have, we'll have more and more. But we, uh, we think the experience they had at TPC Craig Ranch last year, along with uh, where we fall on the calendar, has been really, really good for us as it relates to the field itself. Well, John, as, as Sully said, first off, you know, thanks, thank you again for coming on again and being a part of this. Uh, you now have one more episode of this than I do, so I really <laughs> do appreciate you coming on. Um, you know, everyone knows how important, you know, the Byron Nelson and the Salesmanship Club are to the community of Dallas. And so, you know, I know you make sure that the Nelson benefits the Momentous Institute for many years. And, and so there's a huge charity component to the event. So um, 
can you talk about, you know, why that's so important to, to you and your team and kind of what is, um, you know, what is a focus of something that Nelson is really trying to do in our community? Yeah, no, very much appreciate you asking that. And, and, you know, one of the things that separates us from other PGA Tour events, and I will say that every PGA Tour event is a nonprofit that benefits local charities in their community. So just great things that come from the sport of golf, as you know, in general, um, not to mention PGA Tour events. But what separates us a little bit is we're the only tournament on the PGA Tour that is owned in the host organization, the Salesmanship Club of Dallas, owns and operates the AT&T Byron Nelson and also owns and operates the charitable beneficiary the Momentous Institute. So it's just a little bit different. The only reason we do this golf tournament is to raise money for our nonprofit program, the Momentous Institute, um, which is doing just great things here in our community um, to build and repair social emotional health for kids and families um, in our community. You know, at a time right now during the pandemic with a focus on mental health, uh, the needs just never been greater. So the support that we get from everybody that comes out um, has been made a really really significant impact. Um, one of the things we're really proud of this year, May, is we May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and our tournament happens to be smack dab in the middle of May. So gives us a great point to really talk about the great work that that Momentus is doing during that time when the light's shining on us at the AT&T Byron Nelson. Yes, sir. Well, I know the Dallas Sports Commission in the city of Dallas definitely appreciates that focus and that and giving back to the community. And, you know, like you mentioned during the pandemic, in the last two years have been very interesting, you know, for all of us. But something that is, I thought, I mean, I hate to use the same word, but interesting on my end is that, you know, a lot of people decide, hey, I want to be outdoors and hey, we're going to play golf. And, and yeah. so that is that opened up uh, the industry as a whole. You have, you know, the more rounds played, more equipment, you know, being sold. So, do you expect the increase of the recreational play and newcomers coming out to golf uh, to, into the sport kind of benefit the Nelson in terms of attendance and viewership coming up for the new the event coming up? Absolutely. Um, you know, golf has really benefited during this time. You know, not only is it a, a great uh, a great recreational vehicle to get outside and do something, but, you know, it does. It's got mental health benefits to just being outside and being with your friends and and uh, connecting in that way and. We think it's, it's really, uh, it helps both sides. We think that the, anytime someone's interested in golf, the rounds played are way up. That really helps attendance at the AT&T Byron Nelson. It helps engagement in the tournament. It helps people want to watch it on TV. But also, one of the reasons we were talking earlier about we have something for everyone, we want to get people who've never been to a golf tournament out to come see it, um, whether they're just there to experience the concert or they're just hanging with a friend that brought them along because they wanted to, to meet up in the, in the bunker club and have a couple of drinks and just kind of have a good time. You know, we want them to then engage with golf and maybe they'll go play golf um, afterwards because they've gotten involved in it. So yeah, there's no doubt that this increased um, awareness in golf and so forth is going to help everybody. Yes, sir. Well, as you know, in Dallas, you know, we want to host amazing events and, 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 you know, your event is one of them. And so we're always trying to think of, you know, where are we nationally? Where, do, where does Dallas kind of sit? So in your viewpoint, where do you think Dallas kind of ranks nationally as a golf market destination? I, th I think it's right up there at the top. We've got some of the best golf courses. We've got some of the best um, PGA Tour players that live here. We've got, uh, uh, we talk about this a lot. There's a lot of major markets um, in the United States that can't that can't support one golf tournament, one professional golf tournament a year. Um, we've got two that are supported every single year. I mean, last year, the AT&T Byron Nelson was able to generate $5.5 million for charity in a limited capacity year. 
Colonial and Fort Worth generated similar money um, through their programs just, you know, two weeks later. Uh, the PG of America choosing Frisco to bring its national headquarters, um, you know, in 2024, whatever, 2024, whenever the PGA Championship's coming, I can't remember if it's 23 or 4, they'll, we'll play the AT&T Byron Nelson, the PGA Championship and Colonial in three straight weeks in North Texas. Um, so to, to say that we're a uh, significant player in the in the world of golf is 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 brings really really true. Johnny, we can kind of sense uh, golf season. We're getting close. It's kind of right around the corner. Obviously, how talk about how often do you get to play? Talk about your game a little bit. thanks. Uh, the uh, not as much as as you know, like everybody. I always love to play a little bit more. Um, starting to play a little bit more though. My kids are getting a little older. Um, I had that a great little run there when my oldest daughter was in high school. She took up the game, and that gave me a really good excuse. We played every single Sunday together. That was our time together. Um, so I played a lot then. Start trying to get back into it now um, as they get older. Definitely hitting it a lot shorter and a lot more crooked than I used to, but uh, still love getting out there for sure. I believe it's 2027 for the PGA Championship. There are other – uh, championships that the PGA of America hosts that are coming before that. Uh, but you're right. It, this is a sensational golf golf market. And that, you know, that father daughter angle is, is important. And it's an, another one of the benefits, friends and family getting, getting out there to, to, together. Uh, so John, thanks so much for joining us. May 9th through 15, the AT&T Byron Nelson tickets available at attbyronnelson.org. We really appreciate you coming back on the mic drop. You bet. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks, Jay, for having me. All right, you got it. And now over to Rachel with a word from one of our sponsors. The Perot Museum of Nature and Science plays a vital role in preparing the most talented and diverse STEM workforce of tomorrow right here in Dallas. Become a member today and enjoy free admission and other valuable benefits to support this nonprofit landmark. Visit perotmuseum.org for more information. Thanks, Rachel. And JD, before we get to Bruce Levine, uh, I, I got to say, Monica is going to be upset with me. I mentioned that Von Miller was a Aggie when we talked about the Super Bowl, but I failed to mention that Scotty Scheffler is a Texas Longhorn when I talked about his first win on the PGA Tour. So there's a makeup call for uh, for Monica. And now, what a pleasure, what a blast this is going to be to be reunited with my longtime friend Bruce Levine. We met in 1983. We were both uh, six years old. Uh, when he arrived in Dallas to be a producer at Channel 8, a longtime run at Channel 8, one of the best in the business, and then got into the, to the, uh, to the hockey broadcasting world. This was his first love and passion. You talk about someone who paid his dues. Monica, who, who teaches a sports management class at SMU uh, many semesters, often asks our guests about their journey. Well, Bruce is going to tell us about his. And he didn't just go right from Channel 8 to the stars. You're, so you're going to be interested to hear all the stops that Bruce made, uh, including the Louisiana Ice Gators and a few other, uh, a few other stops along the way. Uh, really one of the good guys in sports in his 12th year with the stars. Uh, you hear him. I love to hear his analysis. He's, he's uh, really smart, gets to the point, And however much you know about hockey, he will help you understand it better. Bruce, thanks so much for joining us here on the mic drop. Sully, it is a pleasure to join you once again. It's been a long time since we walked the Howard Halls of Reunion Arena looking for post-game interviews that I could literally run back to Channel 8 to make it for the 1020 Sportscast. 
Yeah, those were the those were the days. I think the last time we saw each other in person was at the Winter Classic at the Cotton Bowl, uh, uh, and that was the, right before, of course, the pandemic you know descended upon us. So it's great, great, great to great to talk to you here. So before I want you to break down the the stars for us, you know, kind of at a key inflection point here. But first, let's talk about your your journey. You really took a chance. You bet on yourself being able to make it as a hockey broadcaster. How did you stay with it through all those stops that you had? I mentioned the Ice Gators, the Arkansas River Blades, the Phoenix Cobras, the Dallas Freeze. Uh, you know, you you had a, a stint doing KHL games in the in the in the US. You were doing stuff on the internet early in the internet days. So how did you stay with it? What fueled you uh, during those uh, during those times? Well, it really was that I love the sport of hockey and I love to be a part of the sport of hockey, and it's always been my passion. And what happened, you know, it was, believe me, it doesn't sound as bad. You know, the stops aren't as bad as you think. It's actually a lot of fun. And I had worked at Channel 8 for a number of years. And th there had been some ups and downs. And I had some health issues. And I just decided, you know, at some point in time, you, you got to chase what you really love. And uh, as much as Channel 8 was great, uh, it just didn't hold it for me anymore. The sports special was not something that thrilled me to do. And uh, I, I got a chance to work for the Dallas Freeze, and I met a bunch of guys who had each other's backs and loved being around each other and loved playing the game and would do anything to help each other out, including drop the gloves for each other on a moment's notice. And I said, you know what? These are people I want to be around. This is where I want to be. So I got lucky doing the Dallas Freeze because back then the NHL was doing neutral site games, and they had a game in Dallas, and the Islanders were playing. And the Islanders had a color guy named Bob Nystrom, fantastic hockey player, Hall of Famer who basically told the Islanders, you know, I'm not going to travel far. I want to be home, see my family. So if it's an Eastern trip, I'll stay. But if it's a Western trip, I'm going to, I'm going to not go on the road. So the Islanders needed a color guy for that game. And somehow they found my name, called me up, asked me if I wanted to do this. My initial response was, is this a trick question? And they let me do it. And I hit it off with their play-by-play -play guy, Barry Lander. So they asked me to do more games over the years. And it just became, okay, this is where I want to go. And the demarcation point, you mentioned Louisiana ice skaters, was that was it. That was, I had done other stuff. I had done the freeze. I had done Phoenix Cobras of RHI, but I always kept my job at Channel 8. It was always a, well, if this doesn't work out, I can always go back to doing what I do because they never left it. Well, Louisiana was the demarcation point. That was the, I'm going to go all in and do this and leave my job and leave Dallas. And it, it wound up being the most amazing four years of my minor league career and the fact that if you look at minor league hockey attendance records, you wouldn't believe it now, but we set every record in double A hockey and it still stands to this day for attendance. Uh, I got to be the grand marshal, we all did, of the Mardi Gras parade. It is the closest we will ever be to being rock stars was that four years because the town loved it so much. And then, you know, you, you keep going in. I, Arkansas was a different uh, atmosphere, a much different feel than we had in Louisiana. And then you just keep that you, you, the thing is you always take whatever you know and whatever you learn and take it with you to the next step and to the next, the next level. And, you know, for example, the KHL, I was doing, I went up to Stanford, Connecticut. I thought I was going to be, we were doing it from the Yes Studios, the Yankee Studios. And I thought we we're going to have this tremendous setup because they have this 70 inch vertical screen in the, in the control room. No, they actually stuck us in the sound booth with a 24 inch monitor to call Hockey from Siberia at three in the morning. So that's another experience that, that you learn and you take with you. But 
It's, the Dallas Stars have always been something I've, I've aimed to work for, wanted to work for. It takes a lot of steps, but you know what? You got to have fun every step of the way of what you're doing. Well, you deserve it, Bruce. I, I'm so happy for all the good things that have come, come your way. I, just how hard you've worked and the, the passion that you bring and how much you care. So the, let, let's, let's pivot now to the, to, the, uh, to the stars. If the playoffs uh, started today, they'd be in. Uh, interested. Uh, actually, technically, they would not. They are one point out. The, all right. It, it shifted so, last night. They could shift back again tonight. Yeah, I should have redone my research uh, you know, <clears throat> this morning, I guess. Uh, so right there, obviously on, on the cusp, how do you assess where the team is right now and, and give us a, a prediction or a forecast for what you think is going to happen here down the, I know the trade deadline is still a couple of weeks away. Uh, give us the, break it down for us, Bruce. Well, where the team right now is slightly disappointing. This was a team that at the midway point had 46 points and you double that that's 92 points that won't get you in the playoffs. And I, I've often said this, the Dallas Stars this year, it's their version of the last dance, minus Michael Jordan and the five championship rings. When you look at this roster with Klingberg in his last year of a contract, Pavelski in the last year of his contract, Radulov in the last year of his contract, the coach Rick Bonus is up after this year as well. Sagan and Ben, both in their 30s and getting older, this really is the chance for the Dallas Stars. It's the last hurrah for this core of the team. Now, some players may be back next year, but we're going to see the young guys, Hiskinen, uh, Hintz, Robertson, become Ottinger, become the focal point of this team, and they're going to be the new core going forward. So where you are right now is slightly disappointing. There were a lot of expectations that this team would fight for a division title. You know, I've been doing this for 12 years, and I can count on one, maybe two fingers, when the Dallas Stars have been going at the end of February and saying, yep, we're a lock for the playoffs. This team always seems to be hovering around that cliff of are we in or are we not? Sometimes they make it in, sometimes they don't. And for this team, a lot of road games coming up in the next month. This next month, they've got to raise their road game. They've won five in a row on the road before the game against Chicago. This is a team that has to raise their road profile if they want to make the playoffs. At one point in time, they were eight games below 500 on the road. They've gotten better. They've got to keep that upward trajectory if they want to make the postseason. And as you know, in the NHL, all you got to do is get in. Because unlike the NBA, we know that the number eight seed is not going to upstate, upset Golden State or Phoenix in the first round. But in hockey, we've seen the LA Kings win from the number eight seed. We saw the St. Louis Blues have the worst record in hockey in 2019 and win the Stanley Cup. So if you get hot at the right time, it's really the most wide open tournament in sports and the best playoffs for my money. Sir, well, Bruce, this, uh, we appreciate the time again, as Sully was talking about. And, you know, I am, I'm always, you know, as someone from a small town, East Texas, I love hearing about everyone's journey. And, and so something that, you know, for me, you know, I went at one point with basketball and transitioned to being a huge soccer fan. So my question is, is from your perspective, when did you know that hockey was it? Hockey's the direction you wanted to go and hockey was your focus. Like when did, what is that epiphany moment that happened? If you can point that out. Is this professionally or personally? Either one. Okay. I'll say person. Let's do personally. I'm curious. Per personally, this is going to sound very strange. In the fifth grade, we had a couple of teachers who were season ticket holders for the New York Islanders. I was a Rangers fan, so I didn't like them, but we could live with that. They decided that they wanted to start a after-school street hockey league in my elementary school for fifth and sixth graders. So a lot of us signed up. All of us signed up. The first game I ever played, I scored four goals. And it's like, 
this game makes sense to me. I do this, the puck comes here, and I do this with the puck. So it just always seemed to make sense. Hockey, for some reason, I know people have trouble understanding the rules of hockey or, or, or get it. For me, hockey just always clicked. It just always made sense for me. So uh, I loved it. Uh, I played street hockey, then roller hockey on quads. Not on the, They didn't have the inline, so they had the four, the, you know, the Xanadu roller skates, for lack of a better term. <laughs> and, and then uh, I taught myself how to ice skate and made the JV team as a freshman. And that was sort of the, okay, this is, this is, this is my sport because, you know, I, I did dabble in other stuff. I was horrible at baseball. You know, you grew up in New York, baseball was everything. I was horrible at baseball. I, I loved baseball. I was horrible at it. Uh, basketball. Okay. Football. Okay. But hockey, for some reason, just always made sense. And it's just something I always had a passion for and just took it, took it from there. This is the portion of the podcast where we ask our guests, what they're streaming, what they're downloading. It could be music, book, TV, movie, you name it, podcast. Uh, so give our listeners a recommendation. What are you listening to, watching, streaming, downloading? Well, first of all, Sully, I want to mention, I think I'd be remiss if I did not mention that you are the only member of the Bush administration I saw a Ramon social distortion concert with. You know, that was back when we that were That is correct. Back. Yeah, we were yeah. young and hip back then. We actually went, I think we saw uh, the Smithereens also one. We, we, we did. Well. In fact, yeah. when our producer, uh, Danielle, uh, texted me that you were the media guest, I said, we're going to talk 90s rock and roll. We're going to talk Social D and the smithereens, and we may even talk a little hockey. So I, I was going to sort of wrap with that. But but you're right. I still listen to the smithereens all the time. I saw Social Distortion uh, in Dallas in 2019 before the pandemic on their 40th anniversary tour. So I'm still trying to represent, Bruce. I, I really am. It's getting... Uh, it's really, it's easier than ever with Spotify and everything else. It's the, the, there's a lot of great music out there. And, and you and I had some good going to some, uh, some rock shows in the nineties for sure. We did. What was uh, it? You I, had that little red, you had that little red sports car that we would pile oh, into. Oh, the MR2. I loved that car. Actually, I was looking yeah. to see now that the kids are almost done with college. Uh, that's my goal is to get a sports car again, because I've had so many years of being practical, you know, Throwing, right. throwing sports equipment in the back, getting up at five in the morning, taking the kid to hockey practice, taking my youngest son to football practice and stuff. I want a sports car. I want the MR2 back. It'll be a good look for you. I hope you, I hope you get it. Uh, that, so that's what's my uh, goal in life. Yeah, so what are you, what are you streaming and, and downloading these days? Okay, well, musically, I'm going to go total nerd here because I watched Get Back. Uh, I did right. watch that on the Disney Channel. And I can't say, ooh, there's this new band you need to check out. They're called The Beatles. People have heard of that. <laughs> but I went down the rabbit hole with Get Back, and then Hulu has a, uh, where Paul McCartney deconstructs Beatles songs. It's called 321 McCartney. So I've sort of gone down the rabbit hole of not just Beatles songs, but how they were made, what was the, the creative process. Uh, the 321 McCartney is amazing because they strip away the bass line, the guitar line, and the drum line, and they go through each song, the songs that they want to go over, how they were developed. And, you know, uh, the, the amazing thing is the song, And I Love Her, Paul McCartney wrote this, didn't have the opening, and told George Harrison, you know, I really need something. And George Harrison took 10 minutes and came back with the opening chord, which when you hear it, immediately, you know the song. Well, 10 minutes. I mean, basically, it, it just blows my mind. So I can't say musically, I'm listening to anything new and hip. I mean, I think the Super Bowl halftime show was as hip as I get because I knew all the words to everything. And, and my kids are looking at me like, really? That's as hip as you get. So I, I, I got to admit, I sort of, 
I, I've nerded out in the music segment, although I do have on my, in my car, I do have my, my Smithereens channel. I have my uh, Social Distortion channel. I even have, uh, you know, the, uh, the 90s alt-rock channel, which, which gets me sure. through the day sometimes. And I do have to admit that, uh, again, nerding out here, that last time I went running, I threw on a Cheap Trick Live at Budokan for, for my soundtrack for my 30-minute for my run which is going to totally kill your demographic, Sully, but um, I apologize for that. No, no, we, we, we love it. No, that's, that's all, all good stuff. I watched Get Back, too. I didn't quite get through all of it. Man, there is a lot of stuff in there, but watching the, the creation of the song Get Back and some other things, watching Ringo Starr play piano and Paul McCartney play drums, there, there yeah. was some really cool things in there. JD, what are you uh, downloading or streaming these days? Oh, yeah. So for, for music wise, again, the Super Bowl halftime show definitely brought brought me back. And so I've been listening to everybody that was performing on there. But I, I, I like to I diversify a little bit. So I'm listening to Dr. Dre or to Eminem and then I'll go listen to Jason Aldean or actually, you know, as John brought up, Band of Heathens, Hurricane from Band of Heathens, one of my favorite songs. So I like to be a little eclectic in my, you know, uh, in what I'm listening to. But so anything from, you know, Texas country to, uh, to hip hop, uh, music, uh, from the, you know, from the Super Bowl. So listen to that. And then I am a huge movie and television buff. Um, but I like the continuity, right? So now you've seen everything's connected, right? All the prequels, sequel shows and everything. Well, one of my favorite shows of all time is a show called justified and it was on FX. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. and now they're doing a sequel to it, uh, with Raylan Givens going to be in there again, Timothy Elephant returning his role. So I'm rewatching justified, uh, right now, so I'm, I think uh, I'm on season four of, of finishing all the, the original six seasons before the new show starts next year. Uh, I have been just to prove that I am a little bit with it, not totally, but kind of. Uh, I have been watching uh, Ozark, which I love, and uh, Euphoria, which both both shows I love. I love the writing. I love Succession, uh, the writing, the interplay, the the dialogue, the acting. But boy, there are some bad parents on those shows. It's sort of every, whenever, whenever I want to think that I'm really failing as a parent, all I got to do is look at Marty and Wendy Bird and go, I'm not that bad. I'm doing okay here because there are some bad skills going on in that thing. You're not teaching Franklin, your son, how to launder money? I, I'm not. Well, I love the line in the show where they're talking about moving and they say, I forget their son's name. He said, well, he hasn't decided Noah. if he's going to come with us. No, if he's going to come with us. He's 14. Yeah. I've got, I've got a 14-year-old. Yeah. He can't tell me what time his bedtime is. I still get to pick that. You don't get to decide whether your kid's going to move with you. Yeah. I, 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 love, I, I love how proud he is of his son doing mon money laundering. He just has like a twinkle in his eye, and he's like proud of his boy for breaking the law uh, in the show. Uh, following yeah. in the footsteps, even if it is working for a drug cartel. Great yeah, parent. And I'm with you, JD, on Justified. I'm a big fan of that show. Walton Goggins playing one of the great Boyd Crowder, one of the great bad guys in uh, in, in recent TV uh, annals. Uh, my download this week, and I'm still watching the Olympics. I, I'm hanging in there. I know there's been some disappointment uh, with Team USA, and and it's been a little little uh, bumpy on the slopes and on the ice. But uh, uh, I am still watching the Olympics now. And Monica's insistence and recommendation. You know, we're, we're all huge Yellowstone fans on the Mic Drop crew, Bruce. And Monica came came to me after I had said I was not interested in 1883 and said, you got to try it. And I have watching it with uh, Joanne and we really like it a lot. So so I'm going to go with uh, the, the the final weekend of the Olympics 
Winter Olympics and 1883 on Paramount Plus. Before we let you go, Bruce, speaking of uh, movies, documentaries, and all these kind of things, give us give our listeners a hockey recommendation. Obviously, you know uh, everybody knows about Slapshot, uh, but what is something that you think uh, a hockey fan or maybe a casual hockey fan could watch that would really uh, elevate their their interest in the game? There, there's two things that I think you should watch right now. One is non-hockey. It's called Icarus or something to that effect. It's the story of the Russian systematic government-sponsored doping system that, considering what's going on in the Winter Olympics right now, is very pertinent. And it's also very pertinent to what's going on on the worldwide stage and how the Sochi Olympics help launch where we are internationally and what's going on with the Olympics. I'm with you. I watched the Olympics. Uh, I enjoy the Olympics, but this has really been a, a down year for me with all that's going on. For hockey, if you want to see a little bit of hockey history and background, there is an old documentary called The Boys on the Bus. It is the story of Wayne Gretzky and the Edmonton Oilers and the 1986-87 season where they came back and won the Stanley Cup after being uh, eliminated the year before. It's fantastic insight. They're in the locker room. They're on the bench. They're at practices. And for those of you who – I'm a huge Wayne Gretzky fan. I always consider him the greatest hockey player ever to get a feel of what it was like when this player and this team who dominated the latter part of the 80s before their owner broke them up, it really gives you an insight as to how good they were. And it'll also give you an insight as to how much the game has changed. I mean, you watch this and there, were, there was whacking and slashing and hooking and fighting. And it, it's not the game it is now. It was a lot rougher, a lot physically de more demanding because they expected you to stand in front of the net and get cross-checked and slashed. And they weren't going to call penalties like they do now. But it's a great insight as to what that high-flying level of hockey was all about and the, the, the aura behind one of the greatest teams in hockey history. Well, thanks so much, Bruce. Good stuff there. This has really been a blast. We covered a lot of ground. It was a lot of fun to have you on the mic drop. So with that, Monica Paul, our leader, will be back next week. And on behalf of Monica and J.D. Wood, who did an excellent job filling in this week, uh, both of the Dallas Sports Commission, thanks to our guests, Justin Carrier, John Drago of the AT&T Byron Nelson, which is coming up May 9th, 5th through 9th, 9th through 15th, tickets on sale. Uh, and of course, the wonderful Bruce Levine. Great, great to have you on, Bruce. Thanks. Also, a quick shout out here. A couple of weeks ago, we had Todd Abrams on of Icon Meals, talking about his company based here in Dallas in the area. And he sent me a care package with some stuff. And this morning, I had the breakfast burrito. And I got to say, it was fantastic. So thanks to shout out to Todd Abrams and Icon Meals for, uh, for, for, for that. Thanks also to our, to our Mic Drop production team, Daniel Whitelaw-Piscura, Angela Lang, Marcus Carr, Reeves Eddins, all of Tony Fay, and of course, our showrunner, the aforementioned Tony Fay, Mark and Jay at Vocal Media. Until next time, thanks for listening, everybody.